Hello, and welcome to our in-house recruitment podcast. My name is Natasha Priya-Cannon from In-House Recruitment, and this podcast episode is brought to you by SHL, the talent solutions equipping you to make unbiased, data-driven people decisions throughout the employee lifecycle. Give them a visit at shl.com. In today's episode, we are joined by Jack Walker from SHL and Nicola Lamplau from Experian. And we're discussing the early careers market and how companies have adapted to a virtual setting and what this means for employers and early career talent alike for now and in the future. Enjoy. Welcome and thank you for joining me on today's session. Really excited to be joined by Jack Walker from SHL and Nicola Lamplau from uh, from Experian as well. And we're really going to be talking around the early careers and graduate market um, today. So really trying to look at what's happened over the last year, how the pandemic has impacted, and also looking ahead as well. So uh, thank you very much for joining me, both of you. And perhaps it's best off to start with some introductions. So I might go ladies first. So Nicola, would you like to introduce uh, yourself and uh, an experience as well? Yeah, sure. So I'm Nicola Lamplow. I'm the Early Careers Manager at Experian. Um, So that basically means that I'm responsible for all the recruitment and development of our graduates and apprentices into the UK market. Excellent. Thank you. And Jack, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi. um, So yes, Jack Walker and uh, I am in charge of client development at SHL. Um, I've been there for around nine years or so in SHL. Um, are kind of big assessment players and big on people insight and people science Um, and so in particular over the last sort of year or so I've been involved in a lot of the graduate recruitment early careers recruitment solutions and a bit of a SME in that area. Excellent thank you very much so perhaps it would be good to get started actually with a little bit of a market overview really Um, so obviously the last year has been a bit of a whirlwind for everyone um, to put it mildly but Jack you're in quite a unique position where um, where you work with a number of clients looking at their early careers and and graduate schemes where are we up to at the moment what's the market Hmm. been doing have you got a little bit of a a, a pricey as to to what the market is um, is currently at in that early career space yeah we've we've seen a huge range of different situations um i think the the pandemic has caused obviously devastation in some businesses and huge opportunity in others um that has then in turn reflected directly on graduate and early careers recruitment in general so we've seen companies have huge increases in volumes applications interest um and on top of that we've obviously seen programs that have always consistently existed in the past and now don't exist at all um there's been a big uh, emphasis probably on smaller organizations who struggled more. So we have at SHL a, a sort of middle market team as well as a, a large enterprise team. And large enterprises probably continued to be as busy as ever um, and sort of slightly hidden the damage that the pandemic has caused versus middle market where it's been a lot more exposed. Um, and so we've had to kind of see a lot more um, campaigns that haven't gone ahead. Um, yeah, so that, that I mean, what I would say is that the, the lockdown seemed to have encouraged a lot more candidates to apply to a, a, the fewer roles that are available, but therefore the companies that are recruiting have seen huge volume increases. And we've got stories of 100, 200% increases in applications from, from certain sectors. 
and that brings its own challenges as well on that one doesn't it with the increased mm. volume um, volume application so um and, and nicola yourself obviously being in the thick of it um as it were how's how's it been for for yourself and are you one of the organizations that have had that real increase in in applicant volume as well yeah absolutely um i only took over the role about 18 months ago so i've only seen two cycles of recruitment but i would definitely say this year we've seen um, a significant increase in the number of applicants we're getting and we've had to close some of our vacancies earlier than originally planned as a result yeah that's um it's always going to be the uh, the problem on that side and what about the graduates that have come through on the last cycle have they been different in any way if they had a different sort of mindset if they've been more nervous more outgoing what have you seen nothing significant that I would say has changed um, other than the fact we were certainly quicker to, to market this time round. Um, we we're in a fortunate position as a company that we were quite clear on what we needed so we've been able to go out earlier I, I know a lot of companies have been holding back waiting to see how how the markets how the businesses are going um so what I would say is that you know not only have we had that increased volume but the caliber of the candidates is really high so you know we've been really pleasantly surprised that we're seeing really strong pools coming through and it's actually been quite difficult even you know at shortlisting stage to to, to filter that down due to the high caliber and is that because there aren't as many roles out there for graduates so the higher caliber ones that you may have lost to competitors previously are now coming through to you I definitely think that's played a part yes I, I think for us as well we've probably got more presence in the early careers market over the last year um, certainly everything going virtually um, went in our favor in the autumn because we could do a lot more attraction work online than we would have been able to do if we'd had to physically go to careers fairs and careers events so I think it's been um, a double positive in our favor really in that there's less opportunities around and we've really raised our profile as well. And was that a, a plan that you always had in place to sort of raise your game in that sort of virtual setting or was it something that you had to do because of COVID and the pandemic? I would say there was definitely a plan in that we were going to raise our game. Um, obviously we didn't anticipate that necessarily being virtually um, but I do think that's actually worked in our favour and I, I think that's something that we will continue to do even in the medium to longer term. Yeah. Excellent and what about the, the kind of roles and specific early careers programmes that um, you've seen an increase in? Have they all increased or are there only sort of specific areas that the grads are a bit more interested in perhaps? Yeah, I think from our strategy point of view, we are definitely increasing our roles across the piece in all, all areas, but in particular for us as a data company, um, definitely around the sort of software engineering and data analytics space, that's where we tend to recruit most graduates. And that's a competitive market, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, it, it is. It is a competitive market, and, but we've been pleasantly surprised again by the volumes and the calibre that we've, we've seen coming through. And females as well, because we know that they're traditionally spaces that it's very hard to attract females to. So I have to say I've been pleasantly surprised by the number of female applicants coming through for those roles. Absolutely. Jack, were you going to say something? Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, no, no worries at all. No, I was going to say um, how of the companies that are, that are still doing the recruitment, you, there's no hiding in the fact that any firm whose product is a software as a service or some form of digital product has done has done much better in this environment and therefore those campaigns we've seen a lot more of them go ahead we've seen a lot more of them go through and um and seen how politely 
not politely, how pleasantly surprised they have been uh, with regards to the, the amount of applications, the quality of the applications in what are quite specific jobs around data science, around de developing, coding, um, et cetera. So, I mean, maybe that's a bit of an organic shift that we're really starting to see now with more um, students going to university to study these sorts of things, people having more of an interest in them and a bit of a perfect storm with, uh, we really need to accelerate this because of COVID and all the technology kind of advancements that businesses require. So I think it's a bit of a perfect storm that's then created that. And we've seen a lot more companies recruiting for those sorts of jobs, basically, um, in, in experience included, of course, who obviously we work with. And that's quite interesting as well, because obviously grads would have gone through a three, four, however long um, year process. So not everyone actually would be sort of relevant or have studied in those kind of um, those roles that would be, um, you know, the, the sort of precursor to them. So are there people outside of those, um, what's the word, um, those courses that are then trying, that are then applying for those kind of roles? And is, is that what you're saying or is that not necessarily the case? I, th I think it might be the case. I do... I do think that organisations are, are, are being a little less fussy about backgrounds and about how they actually uh, attract, how they select people based on technical skill, based on degree and things like that. So that's opening the doors a little more to candidates who may have done something loosely connected to that type of a job, who then felt actually that the, the selection process itself hasn't stopped them from doing well. And um, so we've definitely seen a bigger shift in and we've been definitely we've been very much advising on the shift as well to look at the opportunity of all these graduates that are in the market that probably you wouldn't have been able to attract or select from previously because they would have gone down their stereotypical paths of this university for this job, for this course, for this job. There's a much more open pool right now of candidates who need jobs. And I remember leaving uni in 2011 thinking that everything was going to be fine and there were going to be loads of grad jobs post-crisis and there weren't. And so, you, but companies have adapted. They've started to think about, um, well, hold on a second. We can probably train them on quite a lot of this stuff. So why don't we actually just think about how do they fit our business? How do they fit the behaviours of being a successful graduate and recruit them based on that as well as their raw potential and ability? And then we'll almost kind of give them the development, the, the information that they need to be successful in more of the specific content. Yeah, that is that transferable skills uh, conversation that I'm having more and more with uh, with different employers and organisations as well. So really understanding that you don't necessarily have to have the experience, you can sort of train them up into different areas. And Nicola, is that something that has been a focus for you over the last year? Or is that, again, just been a bit more orga organic um, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months? Yeah, it's something that we've been increasingly mindful of because we're really keen to get a diverse set of candidates through for our roles. Um, so traditionally, yes, in the sort of more technical field, we might have gone for computer science, for example, as a degree discipline. But we know that the diversity of people doing that is not as diverse as perhaps looking at some other degrees. So we've really opened our minds up and our hiring managers minds to looking at um, a much more diverse base of candidates. So for some of those roles, we were more interested in an analytical mindset than necessarily what degree they did. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would definitely be a factor. And for the for the non-technical roles, then absolutely we wouldn't specify a particular degree is much more, as Jack said, looking at those sort of transferable soft skills. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really interesting that the whole uh, diversity piece, especially within um, early careers and those kind of roles is, um, is on everyone's radar. So it's nice to hear and see that you've had more sort of females coming in through, um, through that area as well. Um, so you're now into another year, another wave of that early careers uh, recruitment. I know you mentioned for the medium to or short to medium term, you were looking to um, go more virtual and, and sort of maintain that. Is that something that you think is potentially the new norm? Do you think it's going to carry on further than the medium term? Or do you think it's going to become a bit more of a hybrid? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I think um, I, I think it's here to stay. I think with the future of work, we're, we're going to be working much more virtually longer term. So I think it's going to be important that the kind of candidates we're seeing and assessing can adapt to that world as well. Mm-hmm. I also think as a recruiter, it gives you much more flexibility and reduction in cost by doing things virtually. Uh, there, there is obviously kind of um, an offset to that. Um, occasionally you get technical issues or candidates technology is perhaps not as good as it needs to be. But they, so far, our experience has been really good. And we've only had uh, literally a couple of glitches, mm-hmm. nothing that we've not been able to resolve. So I do think it probably is here to stay. Have there been any real lessons learned um, over the last 12 months and and taking that shift to entirely virtual? Um, Are are there anything that you would think, um, do you know what, if I could make a recommendation to anyone else in this industry, this is what I'd say to watch out for or anything along those lines? I think the key thing that comes to mind for me is preparation. Preparation is everything. and, And that's in a number of ways. Um, I think, first of all, in just not uh, underestimating the time and effort it takes to set up a virtual event um, with all, you know, if you've got a number of candidates coming through, it's quite complex in terms of the number of links you've got to have people to join, preparing managers as well, taking time to actually take them through it step by step in advance and explain what to expect and what to do if things do go wrong, like, you know, the postman knocks on the door or the dog barks. And the same with the candidates as well. We, we've actually set up doing uh, prep, preparation sessions for them. So a few days before the actual assessment centre event, we do actually have a call with them to test their technology, explain the functionality of, of the platform we're using. And again, to just reassure them that, you know, if, if something happens whilst they're online, then not to panic and to give them some hints and tips. And that's definitely been well worth doing. So that's that would be my key advice to anybody else is really think about your preparation. Yeah. And, and how have you found graduates responding? I was speaking to um, someone from Travis Perkins yesterday and she was saying, you know, I think early careers is probably the best um, best area to do this in because everyone within that market is very used to technology and um, very comfortable. Is that a bias that we have? Is everyone comfortable with technology and turning everything into a virtual setup or, or, or do you agree with um, with her? Yeah, it, it seems to be the case that they are quite comfortable. Um, I, I guess they've, a lot of them have been studying online uh, anyway over the last year. So it's, it's becoming more and more familiar. And that generation obviously do walk around with their gadgets all of the time. Um, so, yeah, we've not really seen any, any particular issues. They do seem quite comfortable and just accept that that's the way things are. They seem to be quite resilient to the changes um, and maybe it's because they haven't really gone through the process before so they don't, haven't got anything to compare it to but I think everyone that I've spoken to has been um, pleasantly surprised by the early careers um, market and just how they've just adapted and just 
kind of got on with it really uh which is brilliant jack i don't know if if you've seen the case um or, or, or that situation across the different industries and different um different employers as well if you're getting that feedback yeah no we we, we definitely are the i mean just dialing back to the, the lessons learned i think we're obviously the other side of the table to, to nicola and we're we're in, in the trenches as well at the same time to a certain extent trying to to run a little bit before we can walk um in the way that i mean with all virtual every supplier company has literally just jumped into the deep end um with their clients who've had no choice and so there's there's been probably more teething problems this year than there's ever been and um no one solution that is that predicted a pandemic and was like actually this is exactly what you need right now so um there's definitely been um some some real learning there but just like all of these crises that happen or crises that happen in, in in history they always end up creating a huge amount of innovation and change and the speed of change of that and the speed of what's released in the market what's available now in comparison to six months ago is so much bigger than it was maybe two years before that and so there is there is a lot of change which is is going to mean that it's it's definitely here to stay uh, we've we've definitely heard um anecdotal feedback from clients around uh again going back to the gender piece uh and maybe it being slightly more fair um and equal opportunity for people to shine in a virtual setting versus sometimes face to face um a death, dare i say between male and female on that as well um and so we i think clients have really liked the fact that that's the case i mean personally from my perspective a lot of my job is dealing with 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 clients and speaking to them in their own room at home is a much more um, personal conversation versus, you know, putting a face on and a suit on and going to an office and actually talking in, in that sort of a bubble. And, I've, and you've got to translate that entirely for a candidate as well. You can imagine that when they're sitting at home, they're probably feeling a lot more relaxed. Yes, they're going to be nervous. Yes, they're going to be tense, but they're going to be even more tense if they've traveled. You know, they've got all the other stuff to get to the office, get to the center. So you're probably going to see people almost in a slightly better light, especially younger people who are really au okay with the technology and not going to struggle to, 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 they're not going to panic about getting all that right. Um, so yeah excellent and in terms of um, adapting some of the assessment processes because you know in a mm. um, in-person um, assessment center you know there might have been some sort of role plays and other bits and pieces that um, organizations would would look at um, how have you or for your clients how have you seen clients adapt that assessment process to be able to do it virtually because some things are tricky to do online aren't they there's um, there are certain limitations as much as we like to think um there are there are some limitations to, to technical abilities yeah and it and it's a really broad question because you've got um everything through from initial application through to assessment center and, and obviously giving someone um an offer or, or reject them right at the end of the funnel and um and there's a lot of content that we've been educating, building, helping clients think about for many years that only now have they gone, actually, we need to make that move. We need to make that shift. That They've got the budget for it because they haven't necessarily had to pay for expenses or pay to go around the country on careers fairs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so they're able to channel that money into other things. And we've seen some fantastic results because of it. Um, interestingly, there's obviously goes without saying, much bigger focus on technology, much bigger um, emphasis on making sure that whatever they're putting candidates in front of or, or as their sort of shop window mm -hmm. is really um, clear, consistent, transparent, gives them that education. And we're building systems or platforms for candidates to go through that try and give them that end-to-end -end experience um, 
to educate them and, and, and help them learn about whether the job's for them far more than just send them to somewhere to take some assessments. I think that's really key that, you, that, that organizations are really starting to see the value in, in helping a candidate make their own decision versus kind of making that decision for them. Um, there's, there's a really interesting story from a utilities company that are based up in Scotland that I work with who um, had the benefit of uh, having obviously applications, it was actually apprentice work that they were doing, but applications all over the country. And I've now got their two apprentice, first two apprentices that aren't based in Scotland. So you can imagine it's a utilities company in Scotland. So all of their work is in Scotland and um, or a Scottish utilities company. And they've, they've got an apprentice in Wales and they've got an apprentice in Birmingham who are doing you know, jobs just as well. And they, they're able to do that. And that's sort of a nationalization slash globalization of roles is, is really exciting. But, um, but yeah, definitely that focus on experience, focus on, on the process and making it as smooth as possible um, and communication. So being able to, to give that clear flow to the candidate and understanding, definitely still working on things with regards to virtual assessment centers. I don't think anyone has completely nailed it. They've either nailed it like Nicola has with regards to being quite hands-on um, and high touch, um, but, but there's definitely a middle ground for more automation, more system um, support but we're working out how to balance assessors versus um, candidates versus moderators all the different platforms different levels of technology ability etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah absolutely and and your point um, around uh, the the Scottish Utilities Company goes back to um, Nicola's point earlier you know being able to really open up um, who you're attracting as well because you're, you don't need to be next door do you you don't need to be within a commutable distance which also feeds into that social mobility piece which um again is um, a, a big talking point mm. generally um at the moment in any case so um okay thanks jack in terms of engagement so you've attracted the graduates you've assessed them you've selected them they're on board they've obviously not gone into the office yet well i'm assuming they haven't gone into the office nicola how do you keep grads engaged once they're on board but they've never really been in a working environment and you know it's, it's a tricky situation so how do you keep them engaged with the business and making sure they're, they're okay really yeah it is a tricky one um and obviously we went through it for the first time with the cohort that we recruited in september last year so they've not been into the office at all yet mm. um and it is tricky i do think there's still benefit in them being in that physical space and being able to meet people I mean, as we've already said, obviously the technology is in our favour. We're very fortunate that we have things like Zoom and Teams and other platforms we can use. So the communication with them and using camera in that communication, I think, is critical. Mm -hmm. Making sure that's on a really regular basis. So, you know, the, the line manager's role becomes even more important than ever before for them in keeping that, keeping in touch. And also with their wider teams. And we, we like to set all our graduates up with a buddy from day one. So someone that they can just chat to on their Teams chat and ask any silly question to at any point. Yeah. Because if they don't have that benefit of sitting next to somebody in the office and being able to just lean over and ask a question. So I think that's key. And then also just bringing them together and, and getting all the graduates across the business to meet each other virtually and introduce themselves and, and build that network on a more social level as well. So they know that they're not on their own and there's other people like them that they can communicate with. Um, one of the ways that we've, we've done that is getting the cohort from the year before to actually set up more of a sort of social 
network with them and, and set up some virtual social events on a regular basis. And that's something we'll be looking to do more of again this year. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and do you use a, a platform or a technology for that or is it all you know using zoom or, or teams whatever platform that's in embedded yeah, pretty much all on teams to be honest that's our platform in our that we use for all of our employees so that seems to work well obviously it's got a good chat function within there yeah um, so yeah that seems to be going well so far yeah absolutely and was the buddy system in place prior um to the pandemic so that's always something that you've you've had um in place, in place. yeah yeah definitely so pre-pandemic we would always align a buddy um, obviously that would be someone they'd normally be sitting quite close to in the office uh, and also a mentor as well as well as a line manager so there's lots of different people that they can reach out to yeah absolutely I struggle enough and, and I've obviously been in the organization for a number of years you know that you do miss just being able to ask a quick question to someone sitting next to you rather than giving them a call and then you end up talking about other bits and pieces it's uh, you do miss that element of it so I do feel sorry for the grads that are new to the workplace as well because you know coming out mm. of university or coming out of any um kind of education it's a great time to start working isn't it you have that sort of new sense of freedom you've got a little bit of money in your pocket and you know it's nice to, to be able to do all the social elements so it's um have you, have you found that any of, of the graduates have, have, have struggled in in any way um at all is if you had to put more sort of emphasis on sort of well-being and, and mental health as well yeah well, I think like a lot of companies, uh, that mental well-being has been a big factor for all employees as we're feeling quite isolated, sat at home and like say, missing that sort of physical contact in the office. So I think it, it's been very similar for the graduates as well. What I have noticed is particularly those that have perhaps gone into a more unique role where there's not other graduates doing the same role as them in the company have perhaps felt a little bit more isolated. Um, where they've not joined as part of a group of graduates so in those cases it's been even more important to kind of virtually put our arms around them and check in with them on a regular basis and, and make sure that we help them connect with graduates in other functions mm. they might not you know perhaps have someone that they can identify with quite in the same way within their own function so definitely I think that it comes back to the regular communication and just checking in and asking them on a regular basis how they're doing yeah, absolutely. And um, Jack, have you seen any um, unusual or enlightening um, initiatives that organisations have used to engage with graduates once they're on board, aside from what Nicola's just mentioned? Um, we tend to not get too close to that, to be completely honest. I think what we have seen is naturally because of the lack of face-to-face -face contact and being able to understand candidates that way people have done more with suppliers like ourselves um, with regards to getting more uh, objective fair insight on candidates um, independently um, and what that has then enabled them to do is use that information more um, the conversation around personality and development has been a bigger one uh, over the last kind of campaign year and that's meant that people have got more data even if it's just given to candidates who who they offer you know as a bit of a you know thank you for accepting the offer you know there's always that gap and I think that uh, employers often uh, struggle with the gap between offer and then actually there's like six months if not longer before they start and thinking about how in this particular world how do we engage them keep them interested what can you send them thinking of innovative ways of kind of keeping their energy up really that it's really exciting that they've got a job coming and it's not just you know 
okay you've got your job and now it's back to just sitting at home waiting for the pandemic to to, to uh, finish but um so yeah we've seen a lot more data-driven stuff um so using this personality information for uh, how do we help them hit the ground running how do we help with um providing them instant development feedback more actionable um objective information that they can use straight away um mm-hmm. versus the past where you can kind of just get straight into the thick of it when it's all face to face it's a lot easier yeah. um so that's that's some of the things we've seen um but yeah no it's it's been it's been primarily how do they use the information that they're getting throughout the recruitment process to then um help them get up to speed even faster when they join yeah absolutely and in terms of what's next um do you think jack is um so moving ahead to the next sort of 12 18 24 months so the next sort of two to um two early career graduate waves um what do you think is next what do you think is coming up is it just going to be advancements of these technologies or do you think there's going to be um anything else coming up i'd like to think that uh organizations might have a little bit more time um, this year (laughs) to you know one of our, our things is definitely trying to get conversations in the diaries with our current um current clients as well as new prospects around um right, let's plan ahead. It's clearly not going to be exactly the same as it was in 2019. And therefore, um, you know, it's going to be similar to 2020, but hopefully a little bit better. But there's going to be a whole load of things that you that went really well that, that have saved your business money, which ultimately, you know, most businesses care about. Um, and how can we recreate that, but with with a better experience, a better approach? And, and a lot of organisations, um, will be coming out of like panic mode and okay we're kind of got with this interim experience mode how do we actually make that an enhanced kind of decent experience for candidates so there's definitely going to be already January February we've had lots and lots of conversations with companies who are albeit in the thick of it with assessment centers thinking already about what do we need to get in place technology wise in order to make this a hell of a lot smoother um, next time round. so there's definitely a focus on the, the involvement and the continuation of improvement with all of the things that we've, I've already mentioned around the experience, education, end-to-end smoothness of the journey for a candidate. So there's definitely a big focus on that. Um, I, I, I like to think they want to capitalise on the emphasis on behaviour. So behaviour has become a, a really big thing this year, focusing on the fact that they've got such broad applications, broad, they, I don't think organisations are going to want to lose that. So they're not I don't see them going back to specific universities, career fairs as much as they can avoid because they'll, they, they will hopefully have got used to the fact that they can attract candidates from anywhere. Now, that's not necessarily something that SHL gets involved with. We help them with once they're in the funnel. But that attraction piece, I think, is going to be really key and how they keep that as a broad strategy um, to really maximise the diverse the diversity of background and thought coming into the funnel from the get-go um yeah those are those are a couple of key ideas i think from my perspective yeah which is all um, all brilliant and and nicola from um it'd be great to get your thoughts and obviously thinking forward to the next 12 24 months and, and possibly further ahead as well there's obviously been a lot of sort of badly handled exam marking um and for you know those in sort of gcse a level and those now currently at university it's, it's very disruptive year potentially two years for a number of um of people sort of coming through what impact do you think that that is going to have on um on those early careers roles um and and the people coming into them um moving forward in the next sort of three or two three four years 
It's a good question. Um, and I think it's, dif it's difficult to say, really. I, I, think, I guess we've not really seen it with the, the graduates coming through so far because they've already been at university for two or three years in most cases. Um, I think one of the impacts that we've, we're definitely seeing is that there's, that there's been less opportunity for graduates looking to do a placement year um, out during their degree. Um, they seem to have disappeared, including our own. So we've not really had as many opportunities to give people to come and do that. So we may, for example, in the next two or three years, see more graduates coming through with less uh, relevant work experience, mm -hmm. for example, um, which isn't necessarily a problem if they can demonstrate that, that the sort of transferable skills we talked about earlier. But I think that's one obvious area I can see will definitely be impacted. And certainly some undergraduates I've spoken to this year that were planning to do a year in industry have now accepted that they won't be able to do that and have carried on onto the final year of their degree. I think at the school leaver end, I think there's potentially going to be more disruption. I think for that sort of younger end of the early careers market, they've probably felt it the most so far. Um, and I've you know, certainly heard a lot about sort of kids in, in year 11, 12, 13, that are feeling quite disillusioned, kind of feel like they've lost their way a little bit. They don't really know what they want to do and what's the right thing to do. So I think there's going to be need to be a lot more sort of support and guidance at that end of the market and really helping sort of get, put them back on track, I guess, in terms of thinking about what they might want to do when they leave school or, or finish their A-levels. Yeah. And do you think that would come down to the, to the school or employers or parents? Um, I, I know it's not a one person job but um I think quite often there's a lot of emphasis on on schools rather than employers and schools aren't necessarily geared up to be able to give that kind of advice um so it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts yeah I, th I think it's all of those as, as you suggest everyone's got to play a role with the parents teachers and employers so certainly I mean our biggest market really probably at that end for apprentices is, is within the sort of Nottingham Midlands area and we've been talking to the sort of local authority in our area about how can we get involved and support schools um, we've talked about things like running events for careers teachers for example to help them think about what some of the career opportunities might be and then thinking about how that relates back to the kind of subjects they they study at school so I think we've all got a responsibility and a role to play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those events for career teachers would be great. I, I don't know if anyone remembers their career teacher, but I think I got told I should be a policewoman or something like that, or just something really <laughs> random and really vague. I got told I should be a footwear designer. Oh, there you go. So <laughs> I'm sure there are millions of brilliant career teachers out there, but they seem to be a little bit out of touch, um, especially when I was still... I blame the questionnaire, not the teacher. Well, um, there you go. Um, <laughs> excellent. So, no, that all sounds brilliant, Nicola. We are pretty much at the end of um, sets of questions that I had uh, um, to, to run through. So I don't know if you had any closing thoughts or um, anything that you wanted to, to go through. Jack, perhaps we can start um, with you if you had anything that you wanted to close on. Yeah, I, I just think moving forwards, I mean, Nicola hit it on the head and she's probably going to say this anyway, but I, if you can plan, if you can get ahead, if you can start thinking, start talking to the right people, um, your suppliers, if you, the sooner you can do that, the better position you're going to be in. I think if there's anything that we've learned over nearly the last 12 months since the last, the first lockdown, um, it's that, that the world isn't going to just suddenly go back to normal. And I think it's very unlikely that it will be back to normal by September time or August when most companies start to really gear up on this. So start thinking about 
a sort of halfway house potentially, um, or even just plow on with a virtual approach and people will be very accepting of that. Um, so get those conversations in and, and, and really start planning so that the technology can all be ready. Um, because it's worth noting that any business that's supplying this service is extremely busy doing that. So, and they're gonna get very busy. So the sooner you get in and have that conversation to see if it's fit for purpose or not, it, it, the better. Um, and then the second emphasis is capitalize on all of that really good stuff with regards to objective, fair approaches that have been brought in organically through the need of doing things more virtually and, and review your processes, look at what's gone really well, what hasn't, and, um, and see what you want to stick with and make sure you're making all those kind of best decisions this time around. Um, we always talk about the three E's, trying to balance the effectiveness of the process, the efficiency of the process, and the candidate experience of the process. So just keep those three things in mind and you'll get a really good kind of, there's natural tensions between them, but you'll get a decent overall process. So preparation is key in the three E's. That's quite a nice little yeah. phrase, isn't it? There you go. I might, might use that in the future. Um, and Nicola, for yourself, was there anything that you wanted to, um, to end on? Just sort of final words. I would just echo what Jack's already said, to be honest. What's in my mind is it's review and then plan and preparation. So we will finish our campaign probably by the end of April. So we plan to do a review at that point from every aspect, from the line manager's recruitment experience point of view, from the candidate's point of view, and from our point of view in terms of the processes and the tools that we've used. And we'll go straight into thinking about on what does the campaign need to look like for next year? So what, does, what are our business needs? And therefore, what kind of planning and preparation do we need to do for that? So that's, yeah, exactly what Jack said, basically. Preparation, <laughs> no. I would, um, <laughs> I would add as well that, uh, I think networking has been is, is more important than ever yeah. right now. And I know Nicola's done a little bit of that. And um, you know, after personally working with Experian last year, there's so many good things that they did that other organizations haven't done. And um it, it's to do with the the, the the talent that's in your team, the, the way that your team think and, and ideas in the environment that you're in, of course. But um just speaking to your peers, use the ease of technology and the fact that people have adapted. You know, I can message my boss on Teams. I could never have done that 12 months ago. And so use this new way because it's so much more approachable, accessible to, to get in with, you know, other organizations, find out what they're doing, what went well, what didn't go well, use those forums, use LinkedIn, use anything really. I would, I would definitely say that that's, we've seen a real increase in that. So jump on the bandwagon. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Jack and Nicola, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for running through those questions. It was really insightful. And early careers is probably one of my favorite topics mm. um, as well. So it's, a, uh, it's, it's nice to get your, your thoughts and insights. So thank you very much from, from me. And um, hope to see you in, well, hopefully in person sometime soon. But um, <laughs> if not, it might be virtual. Um, but thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Natasha. Thanks for listening, everyone. For more insights around in-house recruitment, talent acquisition, or even HR, do head over to our inhouserecruitment.co.uk website where we have a whole host of other resources and events for you to get stuck into.